0: Hello, uh this is Monarchism Unfiltered. Um I am I am and this is Bronze. And and this is me, McCall.
1: Person with the best audio in the world.
2: Right, let's crack on.
1: It is an update. Indeed. So, a small recap. On the first episode, we so we touched upon the history of monarchism from, essentially, time immemorial to today, to more or less... Yeah. And, yeah. And today, we're going to continue with, uh, well, t- touching upon modern-day monarchism, its survival, its threat,
2: And its future.
0: Yeah um, I think that's a good place to go um, now and so the um, the, basically I think the first place to start obviously would be sort of survival of uh, traditional monarchies or monarchies in general in the modern world Um, and the I think the most interesting obviously the first place to start would really be the French revolution um which i think is is interesting because the i think that is the reason why we should start there really is um because in the english civil war obviously that's the first sort of real act of modern regicide um outside of like the ambrosian republic or something in the renaissance um be and that's the the interesting part really is that that didn't stick to the same extent that um that the french revolution did and um obviously the french revolution stuck mainly because of the sort of ideology and the sort of um this sort of exuberant quality to the actual revolution itself um where it sort of has this great outpouring of revolutionary fervor and all the, all the things that we sort of understand a revolution to be. Um, and this obviously then starts this big wave of anti monarchist movements. Um, however, most of them, in for most of the 19th century, these fail really. Um, and that is for a variety of different reasons. But the thing that really begins the is the sort of beginning of the end is, is obviously world war one. Um, and I think, yeah, I think the, the, um, the sort of areas that if you look where monarchies have survived to the present day, um, it has really been places that have largely been almost unaffected in many ways by, um, as far as you can be by, the fallout of World War 1 and World War 2 so places like Spain or um
2: Scandinavia or,
0: I don't know, um Nepal don't know. Had had been... obviously had its monarchy abolished recently um but best example would maybe be the Middle East um I I would say and and Bhutan still counts as an ex- Oh yeah yeah I mean like, if you're, if you're looking at sort of serious big monarchies now, like, uh, serious monarchies that have, like, long-term survival chances, it's like Bhutan um, and various Middle Eastern countries. I, I think, obviously, me and Bronze are both uh, English, and it's, uh, I think the monarchy is under fairly serious threat for, uh, I would arguably say more from William um, than anyone else, but obviously the I, sort of that's fair. Reader, yeah, yeah. I mean, the average Guardian reader is not particularly pro um, pomp and ceremony of of the whole affair, um, but yeah, I, w- I would say that the the sort of primary thing is that you have this. Um, you have these various monarchical systems that are abolished um, really in the lead up to World War One, And World War I is what then sort of is the beginning of the end um, in many ways for monarchies in, in Europe. Um, I'm not sure, McCosk, you usually have something. Oh,
1: I don't have much because I wholly agree. The, uh, we might, we might, uh, we might have a different opinion as to how exactly this came to be. Some, uh, for example, I've heard people hold that uh, monarchism, that people ultimately see monarchism as intensely connected to imperialism, and uh, stacy World War One as the culmination of the pointlessness of it all. Which, while I disagree, I can understand from a logical point where they come from. But really, the issue here is, is that world war one in many ways showed both the strengths of monarchies in a way after all it did show that when the push came to shove they could summon mobilize their own populations to never before seen levels but also showed the weaknesses of it in a kind of phenomenal phenomenological way in so much as that the they weren't ready for the psychological shock of failure, basically.
2: Yeah. I, I think yeah, I mean, that, uh, World War One was, was a conflict so, so unparalleled, at least until World War Two, in its disaster, and in many ways it was, it was a pointless war, because it was started over some dispute, and, you know, and bad diplomacy didn't got out of hand, that it's through the whole... Trust of the establishment into disarray, and that's you know, that's not only politically but also culturally, where you start getting you know, people, you know, yeah, that that's or, essentially uh, cultural assumptions.
1: Uh, in essence, is when World War One marks, or more actually, the immediate aftermath of World War One is where you start have is where you really start to have that instinctual anti-monarchism that until this point was largely and exclusively the purview of america and the rest of the new world with a few noted exceptions mind you uh that actually became started to be its own thing in the europe
0: yeah i would agree definitely i think um, even even sort of further than that, um, where I think that sort of is then also interesting is that um, if you look then subsequently at sort of threats to monarchism, uh, the various forms of republicanism, um, World War I and World War II really show that sort of dividing line um, and that sort of dividing line really is sort of um, things like, communism various forms of anarchism um whatever else um on the on the left and what really happens i think to the detriment of monarchism where monarchism had sort of previously been almost the center um in europe the sort of the moderate thing um what you what sort of happens is that post sort of things like the marshall plan or uh woodrow wilson or um to the success of the French to a certain degree um, is that you have this development of uh, this movement of liberalism um, into the center or arguably more accurately there is this kind of abandonment of the principle of monarchy even though um, in many ways places like France or um, especially France I think France is a very good example with its sort of um, very authoritarian presidential system that is developed post de gaulle that itself was actually designed for for a king the the uh the monarchy was written with a rest uh, the constitution was written with a restoration in mind um and this kind of instinctual as you say anti monarchism really comes to develop in the center and in many ways it it was um first and foremost a reaction against um the sort of image of the sort of aristocratic war um because i mean if you even sort of think about like what the aesthetics of world war one versus world war two are um world war two in many ways was a far more uh like it's there's not this sort of gentlemanly nature to it as it were um that you even see in something as brutal as trench warfare with trench warfare there is something sort of stationary almost dignified in a way um about how the officers operated say for example to to use a very emblematic example
1: the in world war 1 you had the infamous example of the uh christmas soccer game where Somewhere along the French trench line, the French and German soldiers came together and celebrated Christmas and played a game of soccer. The Allies didn't enjoy that, and uh, all Christmas after that, they specifically ordered to Christmas Day to be bombarded. Yeah. But I g- absolutely to you that unless you count, like, late war, absolute fucking desperation moves from the Germans to survive against the Soviets, and you have like uh, spawn, those specific uh, uh, Germans with uh, with Austrians, with uh, with what remains of a fucking Croatian uh, free state and Americans all hauled up in a castle just trying to fight out the Soviets, it, a, a thing I think only happened once in the entire war, in one particular case. Yeah, you don't have... Uh, you don't really have anything that
0: can, can compare. Yeah, I mean... I think obviously so much is made of the sort of football game in, in Christmas um, but I think even more so you see a similar thing in like um, you see this even more sorry on the um, on the Eastern front with Russia and um, and austria-hungary where like the, <laughs> the the two sides of like would um, would very easily fraternize um even sort of quite late into the war you have uh you have sort of various soldiers gambling with with enemies of the opposing side and obviously if officers are captured it's like you all just speak french to each other or, um, or german or ukrainian or some similar language um so there's a certain there's a certain and I, I think that that difference is kind of emblematic in the sort of the motivating ideology and I think obviously you mentioned about imperialism but like I, I would argue I would agree at least that I think if World War One and World War II have two primary differences that is um, imperialism versus fascism um, and the the thing I think that fascism really did change um in Europe was that it inoculated this kind of innate skepticism of monarchy and of uh birthright in favor of this kind of meritocracy that was far more popular with uh with the the Nazis and the the Italian fascists and obviously like Mussolini was very poor as a child, and and Hitler was, and then most of the Nazis were lower class as well, compared to say um, Ludendorff or these sort of big um, big leaders of World War One. Um, yeah,
1: the I mean the 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 greatest show of that is the somehow is the myth that somehow Nazi Germany was this hyper-competent and efficient state, even though it was almost the comical exact opposite of that.
0: Yeah, and I think, sorry, to obviously then to return to traditional monarchy, um, that I think is a big reason why monarchy has died to a certain degree in Europe is this innate sort of skepticism towards birthright um, that really, I think, is a is a reaction in many ways to, um, or is caused in many ways by fascism and, and or is a, a reaction against this sort of racialism that um, the Nazis had. Um, then sort of further, I think, a big secondary issue for a lot of these, um, for a lot of monarchies outside of Europe, um, really the primary issue is uh, colonialism. I think the the obviously there are cases like Brazil where I think plainly the issue was uh that sort of the Don Pedro basically gave up um and the sort of traditional elements that would have supported him had disliked him because of his abolishment of slavery. But the abolition of many traditional monarchies in um in sort of the colonial spaces is really primarily due to due to the reactions against colonialism um, and you used i think the best examples really are are um are in the middle east i think middle east is quite a good microcosm of this in that um if you look at saudi arabia or um yemen or like bahrain Afghanistan, or these even Oman, are... in a way. Sorry? Or even Oman, in a way. Oh, yeah, Oman is quite a good example, and like Zanzibar, um, these are all good examples of of why the monarchy was abolished, and, and specifically for these for these groups, um, the monarchy becomes associated with uh, like foreign powers, and uh, the the you see this is even with in something as like the attacks on um um you the attacks by jihadis on uh wahhabis in saudi arabia as um i think it's emiris um i sort of subjects of these various princes emirs and um i think kind of more fundamentally the 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 thing here is that um what has what has developed in many of these places um and is this identification of monarchy and aristocracy with the kind of colonialism that has come to dominate um large parts of africa and um and various different places and that has to a great degree tainted them um i think good example would be in south africa um with critics of um like the zulu king i think is a very good example uh, because of his power and he, he is criticized for collaboration with the apartheid regime um other examples would be um the abolition of monarchy in burundi or rwanda where um the monarchies are associated with this kind of primitive backwardsness um that is sort of and and the sort of foreign like protectorates and these sorts of things um obviously there are places that buck the trend places like botswana um or thailand i think is a good example where
1: Nigeria, to a lesser degree as well, since you since you do still have them as a traditional
0: role. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and it is sort of interesting because, like, Morocco, um, in Morocco, the kings, to a great degree, have been the ones to resist um, to resist imperialism, um, like the sort of various attempts at coups and whatnot um, and the spanish attempting to impose different kings um the the kings then subsequent sort of fights back and all these sorts of things um so yeah i think there is um there's a great de- degree to which um there's a great degree to which these various monarchies that have survived um in the in the third world are the ones that have come to associate themselves with opposition to um various forms of colonialism um in thailand that was primarily western um in more sort of british i think was the main main it was largely british and french yeah Uh, that's why they that's why the the thai had their sort of um, attempt to do some stuff with the Japanese or um, whatever, and yeah. So I, I think there is that is the, and then you, I think you see that quite clearly as well in in China. China, I think, is a good example of that.
1: Yes, yes, China, China is the very beating, screaming heart of of that example. Considering how to this day the Qing Dynasty is still. Loathed, not loaded, loathed.
0: Loathed is usually how we say it. Um, uh, God damn it! English is a complication. I mean, you're, you're Portuguese, like... <laughs> anyway, it's kind of a... Rare-
1: the internet is a merciless place, they won't care for that conditional. They won't care for that conditional one bit. Yeah. But... The, the- yeah to to finish my point about uh, china i have in in my di- in my discord adventures i have met a number of chinese and i have via that gotten a a slightly better picture of what of how monarchism is seen in china and how am i going to put this if in the west it is very bad and generally speaking Statistics show that uh, in Europe, like all twelve outside of ex- 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 all existing monarchies, like around sixteen percent of the totality of all peoples of Europe, excluding people uh, excluding countries where monarchies do exist, sixteen percent are pro the implementation of monarchy, like sixteen percent solid. In China it is a far more complicated affair because you essentially have uh, three currents and and these are and these currents are extremely minoritarian you have the smallest of the currents which seems to be largely contained to people with connections to uh, to manchuria so largely speaking north uh northerners of the of the southwestern prov- uh, no the north of the northwestern provinces uh, which seem to be the, an extreme minority within an, an already extreme minority. And then you have the two slightly bigger camps, uh, but are still extreme minorities, who support a restoration of the Ming or support uh, the intrusionment of the descendants of Confucius. Is there a singular descendant of Confucius
2: that you could say is the singular claim?
0: Yes there is um, Confucius ha- there's I can't remember his name but there's a Duke yeah uh... Duke of extended grace or is that a, a category of
1: titles I think yeah. its extended grace but yeah the, the, oh, it yeah. is. It, it is still a the descendants of Confucius are still a thing and have institutional recognition of all places in a uh, Republic of China
2: that is
0: interesting, because, you know... The Marquis of Extended Grace. Ah, there you go. The Marquis of Extended Grace. Um, all... f- That's the Ming, specifically. I. Uh, the, oh. the... But, yeah, the... Duke Yan Xie, uh, Which is Duke Overflowing with Sagacity, um, or Holy Duke Yen, uh, is the... Um, is the direct descendant of Confucius. Um, And the current guy is Kung Si-Chang, or Kung Chu-Chang in Pinyin.
1: To the most likely one or two Chinese listeners, we're sorry for absolutely butchering every single Yeah, Yeah. None of us are
2: Chinese, so don't expect it to be perfect. But yeah, it's because it's, yeah. it's you wouldn't expect that to be a singular claimant because Confucius lived quite some time ago, and it's usually quite
1: yeah. A but apparently, but apparently, recognizing the legitimacy of Confucius' line was a popular tactic to secure the man. That makes sense. I
2: the think.
1: question, the question, therefore, is why is the of all places the Republic of China, Taipei, still recognizing him? Because that's what is absurd. The title is still valid. It's it. It is not in the. It is not a pretender kind of situation as you have in Western Europe. That is his title, and he is recognized as de facto his title in in Republic of Ch- in the Republic of China.
2: I mean, if I were to wager a guess, I, I would have to say, because no one bothered to remove it.
1: I mean, technically that is true never forget lithuania the secret monarchy
0: oh, oh, oh and sorry um yeah it was only in 2008 that they converted it from an um, from a paid appointment into an unpaid appointment jesus christ the, the christ is hard <laughs> um and in 1998 they or um, until nineteen ninety eight, they had an official office building for Christ, and and in two thousand eight, uh, when they abolished it, they were they had the same ranking as a cabinet minister. Jesus
1: <laughs> Christ, you know, I kind of wonder how much of that was just the myriad cults of Taipei, just uh, Taipei fromosa. Christ I have to settle down on a name to call to call the republic of china one of these days uh, of the myriad religious cults are there that did something about it
2: yeah, and you know and then Wait. it turned into an issue about gridlock because if you had to remove him there's someone else you have to remove and then you get bogged down and it's not that big of a deal so they just keep going until someone in 2008 apparently you know had the idea of finally removing it is a shame because
0: it's a very interesting fact yeah it is a very interesting fact Uh, and i I think then also you um they yeah so i I think it is a it's an interesting point that um what has doomed monarchies in many places really is um is that republicanism and the various forms of it Um, have become associated with like self-governance and anti-colonialism which i think is sort of an interesting interesting development Um, and i think it also then takes us on to the more general topic of um, how monarchy is ideologically justified and various forms that that takes in the modern world um so i think the first place to start really would be um post-enlightenment enlightened monarchies of various forms um i think the 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 first obvious one to talk about would be to say enlightened absolutism um wherein you sort of have an absolute monarchy but um he sort of acts rationally or Uh, It seems to be um... one
1: of the one of the more concise uh, definitions I've ever seen, particularly read about enlightened absolutism. Is that it? It can be defined as a form of absolutism where the king willingly submits to the law. So he is still above the law in a ideological sense I suppose you could say yeah, but he his own free will know. submits to said law. It's not binding in so much as well it wasn't but of his own but of his own accord he submitted to it. Yeah, that seems like
2: a fair definition.
1: It, it's short and And I think that in some degrees, it fails to to, um, account for the spirit behind the whole thing, because uh, enlightened uh, enlightened absolutism uh, was a different beast in a a manner of speaking, compared to the absolutisms that predated it. Because, for example, uh, it is with enlightenment absolutism, that you have the mediatization of the principalities of the Holy Roman Empire, it is with uh, it is it is with this that you have radical reorganizations of the internal structure of the state. The the last non-symbolic holdovers of feudalism get uh, get abolished here. I'm talking about non-symbolic in the sense of um, not necessarily serfdom, but power of the aristocrats. Like sure enough, some of them might still have tax exemptions, but in terms of Production and enforcement of law, which was really one of the main things about the that the ancient feudal lords were loath to uh, uh, to get rid of, is here where it gets uh, uh, annulled intensely and 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 totally in a way.
0: Yeah, um, and and so you you obviously have this kind of initial state of like enlightened absolutism um which was obviously very popular i mean it was kind of presented itself as the perfect solution um in many ways um what really happens i think um in the sort of mid mid um middle of the 19th century is that there's this move towards um move towards a kind of
2: but if, to, uh, to
1: uh, I think that uh, not to disagree with any with the suggestion you're going to propose, but my view is uh, far more simple enlightened absolutism ended because it became ideological ideologically untenable in so much as that and you see this uh, in returning to the previous episode. With De Maistre, because the frivolous uh, monarchism that De Maistre is criticizing is, in essence, uh, enlightened absolutism as it existed in its pre-French Revolutionary form. So, the the core issue is that uh, enlightened absolutism, which could be, and for 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 the two guys who read who listened to the entirety of the previous podcast, could be considered a tradition of monarchism in in, in itself, but it's. But for simplicity's sake, and in and the three members of this podcast considered it an ideological subfaction of monarchism because it it manifested in its final form after the French Revolution. Uh, the uh, enlightened absolutism at the time could not actually come up with sufficient justification to either separate itself from similar movements, so constitutional monarchism and, abso- and absolute uh, monarchism. Uh, which th- this is a bit lost today because, well, the, va- the, 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 the minutiae of constitutional law is not something that the average bloke on the street gets intense schooling on, though they should, I think, the, is that a lot of the early constitutions, especially those that were not influenced by the Cadiz constitutions, the, the Cadiz courtes, uh, the king still had a crap ton of power nominally, or, or, or there were essentially a large move towards uh, increasing standardization in terms of practices of state of the state, to the point that you could technically speak in a constitution. Well, you couldn't actually technically speak. You could functionally—that's the word—functionally speak in the existence of something similar to a constitution in many states. Like you have this, uh, you have this to a lesser degree in in well of all places, Sweden's. Wild and surrealistic constitutional history, with such with such exalted constitutional documents as the Instrument of Government of 1790 something, which, and I quote, essentially states that the king has absolute power. To stuff as the king is now essentially non-existent after after the end uh, uh, after essentially the deposition of the penultimate king of the Hesse dynasty in Sweden. So, the, the the core issue with my absolutism is that it could not at the time develop or present a significant uh, real... It, it, to be more accurate, and especially looking at it now, they couldn't identify sufficient issue, logically speaking, uh, with uh, democracy at the time to really to really stand on its own, because the more reactionary and traditionalist um, uh, forms of monarchy had and still do couch their raison d'être in uh, religious terms rather than pragmatic or ideological ones. The the main issue with modern monarchism at the time is that it could... Due to the fact that the, shall we say, the maladies of representative democracy were not widely understood or even for or even like perceived properly in a way. They simply could like they simply could not present a unified front in a way to what to what was they simply could not see what they were up against in the totality, and that kind of screwed them over long term.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would, I would agree with that um, assessment of why Enlightened Absolutism died. I think, secondarily, there's also this issue of personalism. Um, like, if you're going to argue for an enlightened king, it's kind of inevitable that those enlightened kings became identified with certain kings, such as uh, whoever that Prussian king is, something the Great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Frederick the Great. Catherine. Yeah, Frederick the Great. The great. Um, yeah, Elizabeth the Great. Like all these sort of the great except, monarchs,
1: except except in Portugal where we had the Marquise de Pombal, <laughs> What's the, with the king at the time not having uh, King Joseph. King, I guess in English it's translated to Joseph, uh, um, or King John. Eh, fucking translation, um, but not having the best reputation.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's. I think that was a, a further issue that it's kind of inevitable that... Um, and you, you see this almost in a, to a certain degree in modern Britain that um, there's this image of... Um, one of the reasons why I think um, it's... Uh, the monarchy in, in Britain is on its um, way out is because of this over-identification of the monarchy with the queen. Um, yeah, especially if you...
2: monarchy you don't think of the institution anymore you think of her majesty specifically
0: yes um yeah you you think of um and and i think that's i think that will be an issue primarily either for charles and prince charles or or, um prince william um i think it will be worse for prince william um but that the sort of is diverging really from this um ideological point. And and I think really this interest in ideology also then comes to the fact that you get people like, um, you get people even Locke to a certain degree, but um, people like Kant and Hegel and um, the successors to them very sort of competently articulate a kind of uh, an argument for a kind of conservative um, constitutional monarchy um, that is grounded in, in an ethics of the community. Um, and that, to a great degree, wins out in Germany and subsequently pretty much everywhere else. Yeah, uh, The, the
1: Hegel, Hegel being accused of being a Nazi because he essentially supported what the Prussian state
0: yeah i mean the, the the sort of famous epic quote of um the state is god's march through the earth um wow i wasn't aware of that it's
2: quite
0: yeah it, it's in the opening to the elements of the philosophy of right um, hegel hegel i mean it, it depends how you translate it but it basically knocks out to um it, god's presence on earth is as the state um and so the there is this what really happens and develops in a more less um philosophical sense but you see this quite well in italy um where there's a great continuity between the modern catholic democrats and um and the previous monarchists is that the monarchists that sort of win out um really take a sort of um centrist position against this kind of um, Parisian republicanism wherein it's about the state and whatnot whereas the the monarch is is identified really with um, really with um, a kind of localism a kind of focus upon the community um, a, a
1: generically defined people and generically with all caps here because it's a very vague, uh, definition by design might i add
0: yeah and I, I think i think that um that does very well um in sort of in the late, lead up to world war 1 um issue obviously then is that because it defined itself and you see this the the equivalent in britain is obviously one nation conservatism um but really the issue then is that when the when the aristocracy was revealed Uh, to be less sort of uh, regal or comes to be seen as less regal than previously post-World War I and definitely post-World War II, um, this kind of ideology begins to unravel. um, And you see this then with uh, the abolition of the monarchy in Italy and then um, elsewhere, basically. Um, And that, I, I think, then this has led us to the current position um where we now sort of live in this um almost post monarchical world. And I think this is where it then becomes interesting um, that we have this question of then more divergent ideologies. And I think obviously the first place to start um in a, if we wanted to discuss people reacting to the end of monarchies um, would be Action Francaise. Um, Action Francaise in many ways follows this sort of monarchism of the community um, with its sort of localism, um, these sorts of things. It's and, and the fact that famously Action Francaise uh, allies itself with like social democrats against de Gaulle um, in many ways is because it is opposed to this kind of um, statist tr- tradition in republicanism. Um, and I think it it's you see then even with people like Hans Ham and Hop, um an even more a sort of even more wild or divergent direction in which um monarchy has been taken, especially in this in relation to uh, in relation to localism, basically.
1: Yeah. Uh, I I wholly agree. Uh, for for the listener at home <laughs> Well, you could be listening to this in your job, I suppose. Though I wouldn't recommend it. Um, we at least, well, we, uh, us three, tend to group this kind of localists, or more generically defined, even uh, monarchism, would have focused on the people slash nation as romantic monarchism, because a lot of its impetus and aesthetics, really, are uh, are are kind of an outgrowth of the. Of the well of the romantic mo- of the artistic romantic movement, but also how the but also in the sense that the romantic movement represented an ideological preference within the budding uh, petty bourgeois and the uh, and the arist- and the aristocracy that was and the moneyed aristocracy that had gone bankrupt in the previous centuries in sort of central Europe slash Italy. To a lesser degree, this all this happened in the rest of the in the rest of Europe, but it was a development that was particularly strong in uh, in uh, in well Germany and Italy. In Austria, it was in Austria, uh, uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire really can either be seen as a failure of Romantic monarchism or as the last bitter holdout of enlightened monarchism. With its with its uh, with its rejection of national with its rejection of of uh, of uh, nationalism at times from sheer technicality.
0: Yeah, and um, the kind of the kind of um, identification of the the House of Habs like the the loyalty to the Habsburgs really as well. Um,
1: And and some of the and some of the proposals of reform to the to the um to to the austrian empires really do go on that one of the more abs- well absurd in terms of origin not that absurd in terms of actual formulation is the because it came from i believe austrian anarchists kinda or at least those kinds of intellectual cir- uh, circles was universal personal sovereignty in which it was and it, this could really only come out of the mind of anarchists which was Anarchists are extreme traditionalists in hindsight, which is well nations no longer exist, everyone is sovereign, we just have to agree with the emperor because well organization would be complicated otherwise. Like boiling it down to its most comedic, this is kind of it. The like other Romanians. the
2: yeah. other,
1: the other more famous and popular one, especially with the Slavics, especially especially with the Slavic holdouts of the empire, should I say, it was trialism which proposed to uh, essentially the creation of a third kingdom in austro-hungary ch- ch- they never actually settled in the name to what to call the state in that regard but essentially creation of a kingdom of all slavs within the empire uh, to kind of counterbalance hungary
2: yeah and this would be if i recall correctly would be centered in bohemia
1: one of the proposals the early trialist proposals were centered in bohemia the later trialist proposals were centered in a cre- in a creation of a because er- early trialism was anti austrian later uh, anti austrian and anti hungarian late trialism was explicitly and and very emphatically anti hungarian more than more than anti austrian so the focus of the of the later trialism was in the was in the was essentially in croatia bosnia and uh well croatian bosnia because at the time uh slovak no slovenian yeah slovenian nationalism was not really a thing yet
2: i mean
0: overall, i mean the Slovenians the Slovenians have always been semi-german anyway um
1: i mean the the Slovenes got uh, the so so did the the so did the Czechs but then the Czechs had a, a, had a communist government that had a very de-Germanizing attitude towards their language.
0: Well, I mean that's it's very fair that like uh, considering like what Reinhard Heydrich did to. Uh, like uh, Czechia, like it's very fair that they went. Uh... I'm, yeah.
1: I'm not. I am not pointing at the fucking Czechs and saying your nation is illegitimate because you need linguistic reforms. No, I'm stating that, the, that like language is a complicated issue in of itself, and the that uh, Czech oh, yeah. used to be a lot more Germanic in a in a sense that Monday slovenian can also be like kind of derived as being a a germanic derivative this 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 is more just this is just more me trying to protect my slovenian my slovenian bros than than trying to diss any Czech enemies or something
0: yeah anyway the the uh, yeah i think i would agree with you that there is a a streak um of uh, universalism to a certain degree um or to to the um, to Austrian monarchism, and I, mean, I, I think
2: all the way back to you know the concept of the universal emperor and the, and the HRE.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, and I, I and I think this this is also what then really tied um, the reason why Austria has uh, why it's like it remains one of the places that has like Austria and Hungary, the, the emperor remains more, the imperial family remained more popular um, is in part because of this identification of the monarch with this kind of universalist Christian basically um, uh, system wherein it, it's sort of you obviously the last emperor is on his way to becoming a, a, a saint at this point And, um, similar things that i think have kind of allowed it to remain popular to a degree that say um the german monarchy haven't um
1: Uh, the the when you say the austrian monarchy is popular you must you must quantify that because much like the old Austro, much like the name Austro-Hungarian implies, there is a particular split between in, in, in between all, the rest of the entire empire and Hungary. Hungary has, and many Hungarians I have met have the the split is fucking uh, between night and day essentially. You have Hungarians that, much like the rest of the Habsburg monarchists, swear by the dynasty, outright state that Hungary probably wouldn't have been even remained Catholic if, for not, if not for the Habsburgs, and stating that Hungary only exists because the Habsburgs are not in a lot of pro-Habsburgism to the extreme exact opposite of uh, the we should have executed the habsburgs when we could hungary is reduced and small because of the habsburgs the habsburgs are crap and shite and uh, essentially uh, and, and essentially if they could they would kill they would kill the current claimant if they had the chance which is kind of little
2: boy <laughs> yeah what is interesting is that this divide as you mentioned uh is uh, often on uh, geographic lines with uh, the south being more towards the second camp you mentioned and the the north of hungary which were uh, being more traditionally pro habsburg being you know closer to austria yeah
1: the, the, the core issue is that the is that well hungarian i really shouldn't i really shouldn't suppose that I, I just i went to i went to hungary once and uh, i had the impression that the historical depiction of the habsburgs in hungary is not the um most uh, shall we say fair thing that exists so that, that might be a factor
0: sure um i think at least in the historical context when there was like, an impetus to restore a monarchy, um, especially, like, obviously, um, uh, Horfi. was regent, was his title, obviously. Um, and he, he considered himself, like, regent for the Habsburgs, um, rather than, like, an independent Hungarian monarch. Uh, even
1: though... I, I... Mon- um, uh, Hungarian monarchism during the Hungarian Regency is an interesting topic in of itself, but let's just say that in to, order to not, to not di- diverge too much into this topic that the uh, that there were actually people who wanted Horthy to just claim the kingship outright
0: Oh yeah, um, I, I don't deny know that I think at least, so obviously we have established this sort of connection between monarchism um, and what at least would now be called social democracy, basically, um, and sort of grounded in a in a certain element of uh, Christianity, um, or like one nation conservatism, or whatever other example you want to have. So, j- j- just to, so, to to the
1: uninitiated, in in the in the context of a person that just came onto that just stumbled onto this uh, podcast by accident. What uh, I am means here by saying a connection between monarchism and social democracy is that he's referring to things like, oh, how the first, um, how the first, essentially, uh, it's not social subsidies, I think is the actual term, were created specifically by Bismarck in the German Empire, how, uh, how a lot of these monarchies had almost percentages of the GDP given to essentially christian charities or the religious equivalent in the case of the ottoman empire even though although in although we'll Although we'll do the Ottoman empire it's, its own beast, So uh, let's uh, not yeah, touch that really one fun. just yet So you so what uh, I am is referring to is is that monarchism can be associated to social democracy in the sense that not only in the terms of practices, but also in the fact that social democracy Especially in some countries, has a very defined and palpable Christian root to it, in the Christian uh, in Christian values and in Christian ideals. And obviously, or,
0: they- sorry, or the the uh, alternative of say um, in Nepal where it was like the Hindu monarchy, um, or in say Saudi Arabia where it was where it is still identified with Islam. Um, which is why, like the why there are basically no taxes in um, in Saudi Arabia is because they, the monarchy supports itself entirely through oil, or the state supports itself entirely through oil, um, and the monarchy hands out large quantities of money in this sort of reference to this um, sort of re- compact, religious compact. With the people, um, wherein the the monarch will sort of support them against, I don't know the, the the local baron or whoever else, um, or the modern equivalent thereof. Um, and Bismarck is sort of doing a similar thing. If he he's sort of attempting to um, establish the the German emperor as sort of against these little, I don't know uh, industrialists or whoever else is sort of oppressing the the little guy. I well, um, be socialists in this case yeah yeah yeah. And, and so um, I think then also what you um, this this is in large part why the people who were monarchists in Italy and Germany um, say Zentrum or uh, these people like oh, who was the other people? the dnsvp like they become the dsn dnsvp or dnvp it's the dnvp there's no s in there dnvp the dnvp become uh the cdu and zentrum become the csu in bavaria okay
1: just 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 to just to explain because saying that the dnvp became the cdu is a bit of a stretch Segments of the DNVP became the CDU. The majority of the DNVP became the Reich, the Reich Social Party, which was a Nazi revivalist organization. The DNVP was not the most, uh, was not the cleanest uh, thing in terms of ideology. Monarch has never produced.
0: Uh, yeah, obviously, um, I think my point there more was that um, of the people who decided to join a monarchist party, um, of the ones who were not then banned from politics for being Nazis or uh, in the Reich Social Party, which was also banned, um, they joined the CDU. Um, and the, the even more moderate people like Zentrum obviously become the CDU as well. and. I think there's an almost direct continuity between Zentrum and Bavarian the CSU now. Um, you see similar things in in the Christian Democrat Party in in Italy. Um, also to the German viewers,
1: he's speaking this in a sense of staff and ideas, not net, not literal institutional continuation. He is saying that the modern, he is specifically saying that the modern day existing Zentrum party in Germany, although claiming legit. Uh, institutional continuous continuation continuation from the pre-world war ii party what he is stating is that a lot of zentrums of of pre-world war ii uh, zentrum's ideas are now living in the in the cdu in the cdu in mainland in mainland in, outside of bavaria and in the csu in the bavaria itself
0: yeah yeah and i i think um and this is sort of—I I think this is then interesting, where, wherein, sorry to to enter into a discussion um, of like even more mo- modern monarchist ideologies, um, where it then becomes even more interesting is in things like um, like uh, sort of libertarian, like libertarian forms of monarchy, or um, things like neo-reaction, those sorts of groups. Um what is interesting, really, I think about people like Hans-Hermann um and his sort of libertarianism is that in many ways it can be seen as a sort of continuation of the logic of decentralization um, that you see even with sort of someone like Chesterton, uh, where Chesterton says that like politicians should be as local as possible so that you can hang them. Uh, I think or the whatever. Quote,
2: is, quote is, they should be close enough to kick. Is not?
0: Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I prefer <I, I>, <laughs> the hanging version.
2: I mean, many, many would, myself included, but I don't think he was that explicit.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was also quite, he was fairly pacifistic. Um, but yeah, and it, that is the, that sort of logic, I think. Um, does, is a big part of a lot of monarchism. You see this with um, even sort of joke ideologies like um, um, anarcho-monarchism have at least some kind of logical sense to them um, precisely because of this sort of localism. So actually you see this with sort of what Tolkien is talking about. He's talking about this sort of romantic localism um, of the like the the village square and whatnot and and
2: i mean it's it's a theme that's continuous in in really all the sort of romantic reactionary british romantic reactionaries of the early 20th centuries like you know personal favorite of mine hilaire belloc who's talking about you know localism in the economic sense with his ideology of distributism of course and then yes as you mentioned tolkien and chesterton
0: yeah yeah and, and it, yeah it's sort of this decentralization wherein the king to a large degree is sort of almost attempting to end national politics in a way um not that it doesn't operate but that it, it shouldn't be a focus almost um that is kind of distraction in many ways um and i, I think that. To a great degree, is what um, something like neo-cameralism by Moldbug is attempting to, uh, in many ways, ape after. Is that the point? Almost of this kind of neo-reactionary monarchism, at least for someone like Moldbug, um, is that politics almost stands, in many ways, stands in the way of um, a kind of economic libertarianism wherein the person is sort of allowed to be um, do whatever they want. Obviously Moldbug, his opinions vary, but that's especially what you see in something like the Formalist Manifesto. Um, and Hans-Helman explicitly has a similar sort of idea that it's sort of the issue with democracy is that it's like, it is this tendency towards centralization that happens under monarchy, is why he sort of believes it is this God that has failed to a great degree. Um, And I think that sort of, it it is quite interesting then that European monarchies and obviously to a great degree, um, monarchies that have survived in other places have identified themselves um, with religion, um, with localism and with these sort of systems of patronage that you see in places like Saudi Arabia where in the population are allowed to be left alone, um that you then sort of in many ways the kind of most upstart in a way um monarchist ideologies now um have identified in many places the market as a, almost a replacement for where religion stood in, in 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 the lives of uh these earlier monarchists i think um be that, people like Chesterton, Belloc, um, or Tolkien, to take English examples.
2: Yeah, I know that, is, I would agree.
1: The pressing as it may be, yeah, that, that seems evident. Most of, most of the, especially most of the monarchists that come from the new right seem to be more concerned with facilitating capital rather than facilitating monarchism itself
0: yeah um yeah i think i think that is sort of the interesting part then is um this desire almost for effective government um that wasn't really so present in say someone like chesterton Uh, like the these sort of earlier romantic monarchists um on like it's sort of this the it's the sort of basic point of the christian socialists in um christian social social movement in um austria wherein the point of like the point of the state is to save souls um which i think really can be seen as the basic paradigm of monarchism popular monarchies um in as in monarchies that are popular in europe and in where it is identified religiously um that it has in many ways transitioned i think logically towards a kind of the state exists to make money um that you especially see in someone like moldbug saying that the state is a corporation and that sort of we should be open about where power is um in a similar way um which in many ways runs contrary to this kind of romanticism um or it runs contrary, but it it's sort of almost uh, different, sort of... different
1: different different uh, different but same but same internal dynamics. Just yes, yes. just literally replace God with the market, uh, but keep the entire underlying uh, the underlying uh, uh, Logic. dynamic static, and you have these and you have uh, what Moulberg defends Which a word of disclaimer for the listener. No one in this podcast supports Moldbug's preemptive capitulation to capital, so do not expect us to dive deep into the details of what
2: he says. No, but we might dive deep into Belloc and crew.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think um, Belloc, I think, is still quite interesting, um, and I think um, I think the the interesting point really is that. It is, uh, it is quite interesting, at least from a perspective of like how these kinds of things develop, especially because of this development, um, obviously of Moldbug from libertarianism and hop as well, um, that they in many ways return to a kind of monarchism um, that like it's quite a strange monarchism i think um because it's almost like a distributism for the state um rather than a distributism for the economy um that i know that i think it has interest in that sense i
1: like i think that really the development of monarchism uh, especially in the, the Dark Enlightenment, which some of you may know as either an undercurrent or, the, or the direct predecessor to the alt-right, is that if if there is really anything that uh, that it must be said in their favour is that they is that they did imbue the the concept of monarchism with a certain dynam, dynamism that it didn't have, or at least. To be more, or to be more accurately, in my view, uh, had lost since uh, World War One by showing how ultimately, in, or how ultimately and truthfully intensely flexible the concept is by showing how, like, how a, a, the cornerstone of pre-capitalistic, uh, of pre-capitalistic uh, political reality could almost from night to day be transformed into the brand spanking a new vehicle of capitalistic dominance
2: yeah
0: um, I think even even further what's kind of interesting is that um, the I think it, it I think it's unlikely that any, anything like um, the mold bug will uh, catch on as it were in the same way that say Marxism caught on um, but I do think what it points to quite interestingly is the sort of future of monarchism um, which I think we should discuss as well now and I I think that there's this interesting question of where where do monarchies go from because monarchies in Europe and elsewhere the ones that have survived have identified themselves with um, forces of nationality of the preservation of locality of the preservation of religion um, and sort of individuals and whatnot be that through distributism or um, like whatever the Saudis are doing or these various things um, The it is interesting then to, to wonder where if it will be possible for a kind of pushback against um, this tendency towards the dissolution of monarchies that we have, de- that, that has developed um, in Europe. And it seems to me that there ha- there is potential, at least in Eastern Europe, um, towards restorations of monarchies. Obviously, I think Romania's moment has passed. And... Sadly, the Romanians are too
1: sexist to Accept the potentiality of uh, a female uh, monarch.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's less sexism and more the fact that her husband is a weirdo, like very.
1: Well, that that, but the uh, but the uh, the uh, the, con- the it's a bit more complicated. She's not the first in line because the King uh, Michael had a son. Is that King Michael excluded that son because he was directly involved in a and I believe a corruption scandal. So, let, 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 uh, let's put it like this. Uh, Romanians are pretty much at their limit with the current system in Romania. So that has its days numbered, at least psychologically. Whether whether when it goes down it's replaced by monarchism is not so much a given as it was now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um I think it's uh that is the basic issue. Um secondarily I think there is this um this further issue of um just like disorganization. Yeah, um and, and the sort of lack of any kind of uh, organized. I
1: have I have given this considerable study, and 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 again, this perhaps goes to show just how intensely popular the Habsburgs were. But currently speaking, some of the best organized monarchist parties are of all places. And although it is small and has been described as a party you can shove inside an elevator, the uh, uh the i believe the it's called the bohemian crown or the crown party in uh in uh in, Ch- in czechia as it's now called is czechia. is very well organized to the point to, to the point that it can uh, that it can uh, call um what what amount i was about to say what amounts to a march on prague but that's perhaps that's perhaps a bit a uh, a bit too t- a strong a uh, terminology march but Yes, it organizes like a, like, they do a, I will use the, the term procession because, well, most of them are also devout Catholics in an infamous, in, a, in an infamous, uh, in an infamously theistic country. The, um, another place where it's also organized, but not by parties, but of all things by uh, religion, uh, uh, is uh, Georgia. Where, in, 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 in somehow, some way, the two, the two opposing dynasties have united in the marriage and have produced an offspring, and uh, the kid is, is being hyped to shit by the uh, by Georgian monarchists. And largely speaking, the impetus seems to be uh, between a mix between the church being really pro this, the Georgian Orthodox Church. And, uh, and generally speaking, like small-ish but varied monarchist movements within Georgia that also support this. It, it also happens it also helps that the House of uh, Bragathion is like, has this entire like mysticism and legend behind it, similar to how the Hashemites in Jordan still have too. And then and then you have the true whack horse of, of this discussion, the one no one saw coming and no one expected. Transnistria. That that's one.
0: I mean that's the the true the true <laughs> successor state of the Russian Empire. Yeah, it, 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 that's the false, real row. Right. <laughs> oh
1: god, never for, for those who don't know what we're referring to, the current uh, president of uh, Transnistria is has gone on record claiming himself a, mona- a monarchist. Has been elected monarchist of the year in uh, 2018 in Transnistria, and seems to be all about either creating or restoring the monarchy in Transnistria. How and what and what methods he plans to use this is anyone's guess. Sadly, reporting on Transnistria is not exactly something that happens here on the
0: West. But, uh, yeah.
2: Transnistrian
0: claimant this is a good question. Oh, yeah. yeah, this is Noel. I am a monarchist by... This, this is the president currently. I am a monarchist by nature. From my youth I had strictly built mono and monarchical views. I am a supporter of monarchism, limited constitutional monarchism, and take the experience of the Russian Empire as a basis. Uh, and has called the bolsheviks traitors and usurpers um so yeah and he offered he he ordered the raising of statues of um, Su, um, Suvor, um suvorov uh the the last generalissimo of the russian empire and Pyotr Stolypin so for a country with a soviet flag um to to put up statues of Stolyopin is probably the most amazing uh it's, amazing thing in the world it's up there just i already have this
1: image of Stolyopin in in gigantic gigantic bronze with with just the flags with the hammer and sickle just flowing in the back
0: I mean, it is. So the the twin the twin statues in front of the in front of the uh House of Representatives will be Stolyopin and Lenin. <laughs> uh, what a what a combination. Um, yeah, what, what a combination. Um, For the record people, and as
1: the Mamad Rossi shown in the past, monarchism and
0: communism
1: were compatible.
0: Yeah, so that, that is that is tra- <laughs> Transnistria, um, but no, I, I think the the even more uh, even more sort of um, seriously, than that I I do think the place that is most likely, obviously, I think is Georgia, um, because as you mentioned, it is it, there is uh, sort of consensus at least within the church in favour of it and they've solved like the dynastic disputes, pretty much. Um... Another,
1: uh, There are other two places where the, where it, well, the issue about these, the, the perhaps and more emblematic of the lack of organization with monarchism as a whole, is how sometimes if we these statistics can get, we know for Georgia, for almost a fact, the core issue then becomes with other potential candidates, Albania and uh, Serbia which I have heard uh, I heard, yes people are down for this and and we, a, a, and it just needs to get set up and and we'll have a monarchy pronto too it's not going to happen and you're insane for, for supporting that uh, Prince lenka is popular in Albania and Albanias one where the information seems to be largely accurate that there is widespread support. In Serbia I have heard from two different Serbs that yes the house of Karadovic is loved and we are just waiting for the restoration to the house of Karadovic should be shot should they enter uh, Serbian soil. The the, the second one does not actually make that much sense considering I think they are currently residing in Serbia. But still...
0: yeah i mean yeah so i, I think also uh really
2: conflicting accounts of
0: the what is it? oh yeah the the leka also has the most amazing name in the world which is Lekka anwar zog reza baduin um mizezwe Dogu. um now obviously like anwar and Zogu um, and Zog make sense, uh, but Reza Baduin and uh, Mizizwe uh, is because of the is after. Um, oh, sorry, Anwar is after Egyptian president Anwar El Sadat. Uh, Zog is after his grandfather, Mohammed Reza, um, uh, as well, King Baduin the first, King of the Belgiums, and Mizizwe is because of it is a. Z- Zulu honorific uh, given to him by the king of uh, by the Zulu king because he was born in South Africa. Uh, so that is a sort of interesting. Uh, for nation. Th- One uh, man, seventeen
1: different nations in the name. Yes. Yeah, so,
2: I think we have a new candidate.
0: For I the think. Yes. Yes. Obviously. Now. Um, yeah. I think the. In terms of other restorations, um, obviously uh, the Brazilians attempted, um, fortunately failed. I think they got like 16% of the vote or something. Yes.
1: The, the universal statistic seems points to like 16%, like in countries that are not monarchist, you can reliably expect 16% of the people to be in favour. It's just that the degree of, uh, well, well, the extreme lack of organization, dissemination, and well, if you, if you pardon the borrowing of communist uh, terminology, lack of ideological education uh, just kind of shots any attempt down the streets, because especially in Europe, where uh, turnout, uh, voter turnout is comparatively low, uh, like if you actually get 16% people to vote for you, in a single election, you are you are you are catapulted to third or second great biggest party in so many countries. It is fucking surreal.
0: Yeah, and no, anyway, obviously, then then it's basic thing of shout out to Sao Paulo for having uh, two million monarchists within it. Um, which is an insane statistic, if you haven't about it, um, but, yeah, uh, I think the, the, yeah, I think, so the, the, the second thing really is that, um, you, I think, as you say, the, the, the most common places really are in Eastern Europe, um, and, it is identification really with nationalism that is sort of what um and i think at least in albania it's also about having a national symbol to unify the place
1: um, yes because um the country is divided between uh christian uh well christians uh, yeah i suppose but catholics muslims and orthodoxes
0: well also then two different type there's 16 different sufi orders or something do you Stupid and like two different, um, like they have both Sunni and Shia in sort of decent amounts of both. Um, so it's very complicated religious setup, basically. Um,
1: Albania truly is an enduring country considering a similar setup would have resulted in by this point brutal,
0: monstrous civil war. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's it really is the Lebanon of Europe now sort of the i think also then um, there are there are places in africa where you could talk about monarchist movements um but it, it, it becomes stranger there because usually it's the it's like a nationalist movement so um in carter in south africa the in carter party want an independent Zululand with the king as head of state, um, with a like parliamentary system, that can be seen as monarchist, I think, but it, to describe it as monarchist in the way that we think of is not really the case because the king already has a significant degree of power anyway. Um, he has like consultative power over the local legislature um, he has significant power in even more local legislatures. Um, he owns a significant portion of the land. Um, can do lots of it with that. Um, so it's not it's not really like monarchist in the way that like AF or like Action Française were or in the way that, say, like, Serbian monarchists or Brazilian monarchists are. Like, it, it's less a restoration, more independence movements. And you see the same in, in uh, like, parts of Uganda or um, these areas. Uh, famously South, or famously South Kasai, where it didn't exactly go in, in their
1: favour. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so...
2: I mean, what seems oh, yeah. really to the, the common thread in all these is movements is, is, is uh, not referring to the ones you just mentioned, you know, which are of a different nature, but you know, the more explicitly monarchist ones is, is a lack of organization and sort of common will, a unity.
1: Yeah, in, in action. T- turns out, it turns out statistically speaking, monarchists are people who actually need a king to function properly. <laughs> Yes, genuinely. Like monarchism is complicated in the sense that in some countries it's the division is also very profound. In France, you have, well, you have nominally three different claimants, but in practice it's a 50-50 split between the Orleanist branch and the Blanks of Spain, uh, the Span, the Bourbon, the the legitimist claimants of the of the legitimist, legitimist branch of the Bourbons of Spain. So it is complicated, but there is. But also, like the issue is that you have this, and uh, you have this issue, especially with many monarchisms in uh, Western uh, Europe, less so in Eastern, but especially in Western, uh, where it where the proposal, like when a bloke comes to your comes to you and and tries to handle handle you a pamphlet of the monarchist uh, of what monarchy can do for you, it. Amounts to very little because and this harkens actually back to the to to what I mentioned about mind monarchism Like they I it's either. Oh the status quo remains We just have a king now and not explain how what are the institutional? Benefits of having a king now. So you have this completely surface level uh, of uh, level analysis of what would be of what, of what, of what, even a purely ceremonial like uh, style king like the like the UK has uh, would bring to the table, and and to people who understand the, nicest, the minutia of constitutional law, it brings a lot. To people who don't understand that, or simply do not care because they do not believe that constitutional law should be the basis of politics, it's a rather it, it's a rather meager offering many of them uh, either are, are also high, highly supportive of the currently existing order of capitalism, you know, that one which is causing unemployment and destruction of jobs in Europe, which not everyone is pro, so you, you just have this... Um, I
2: mean, it's, I, all... it's the issue of having, you know, a, a thought system, school of thought, that is so versatile and non-binding is that there isn't really a you know, defined party platform.
1: Yeah, the, the core issue is that is that you do not need like a, a overarching international of monarchism to organize this, and, and, and it does exist, but its its efficiency is also questionable. But um, is that you people do not monarchists, especially those who are part of uh, of these more local parties like the uh, the Czech or Bohemian Crown in uh, in uh, well the Czech Republic. Is that they often fail to develop, like uh, what monarchism means, or what are the particularly, what are the particular developments of monarchism for the Czech nation and stuff like that? Not necessarily tying it to the nation, but explaining that well, this country has X Y W context, and this and this is what monarchism could contribute. To either fix the if we if they if they go that far as saying the un, the unbearable status quo with a new better more humane status quo or at least like a a a simplistic uh, list of benefits.
2: Yeah, I think I think on that note we can we should we can wrap it up for that because it's yeah been quite
1: long yeah
2: so that's goodbye from us yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Goodbye, here. Goodbye. Don't forget to send us uh, your questions to the email so that we can read them.
2: Yep. Sounds good.